0: Today is Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. Amen. You know, this has been uh, a wonderful time of new life. As we mentioned last week, my family welcomed the birth of our new little little one, Fern Christina. And uh, she's doing well, Uh, though she did keep us up a little bit last night. Overall, she's she's a good sleeper. Uh, But, you know, we've, we've been thinking a lot about new life. We've got spring... Somewhere, I don't, I don't. I don't know if it's here, but uh, there's spring at least somewhat in the air. I, I, you know, had some allergies a lot lately, so there must be some spring coming. Uh, but yeah, lots of new life, and and that's what we see uh, in in the gospel as we talk about the resurrection. We see this promise of new life, and really, that's what I want to key in on today. We are continuing in our series, "The Gospel Transformed Life," from First John. And today's message is entitled Light and Life. And as I began to kind of look at the calendar, you know, a few months ago, looking at when Resurrection Sunday was and where we would be at in the book of 1 John, I I was looking at it and thought this passage would actually be really good and timely uh, when talking about the resurrection. And so that's where we are today. We're going to see some implications of the resurrection and how it's uh, affecting our lives as believers So many of you know, if you know me at all, that I don't have a great deal of fondness for certain outdoor critters. Um, And a few years ago, when we were living in Louisiana, where the critters are 14 times the size of anything else in the world, um, Chanel and I were dog-sitting for some friends of ours. We lived in the same townhome complex, and uh, they were on vacation, so we took care of their little dog uh, for a few days. And so we took this little dog... Um, Sadie was her name To the designated dog walk area This little uh, fenced in area That probably honestly was Not that much bigger than this platform um, Pretty small and miserable uh, But we we had her on a leash Because she was you know, quick to get away And all that stuff And I really didn't feel like uh, chasing after her But nevertheless I dropped the leash And she ran under some low hanging trees and any tree um, in Louisiana is just a recipe for disaster. Uh, so it was late, and it was very dark. And so I walk under the tree, grab the leash, and as I start to walk back, I feel something just kind of on my head. And Chanel's staying behind me, and she immediately is like, Freeze. Don't move. I'll tell you what it is later. <laughs> and so I'm standing there, right? I'm just get it off, get it off, get it off. And she swipes at it, and it falls onto my back. So then, you know, eventually she gets it off my back, and we bolt out of there. I mean, as fast as can be. And, you know, I, I knew what it was. Deep down inside, I knew what it was. But she told me that it was a massive spider. And, you know, for anything to have, like, a solid thump when it hits your head, it's got to be pretty big. You know, it, I, Still gives me the creeps when I think about it, but that's, that's the problem with darkness, right? You can't see what's in front of you. You can't see what you might stumble over, what you might run into, what you might trip over, what, what might land on your head. Darkness brings about fear. It brings about misery and even death. Light is needed for life. Today, as we look at this passage, 1 John five through 1, 5-10, we're going to look at two themes here. The resurrection light and the resurrection life. So let's read our passage this morning. Starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as Nate said already, every time we gather, it's a celebration of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. And so this morning, uh, we just want to remember that again. We want to call it to our minds again. The hope that we have in Christ, who bore our sins, who died, was buried, and raised again in three days. As Randy said, we now have hope. Lord, I just thank you for that hope that we have, the hope of life to come. Lord, as we study your word, I ask that you would just make it clear to us uh, what you have to say to us this morning. Open our eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So the resurrection light. Now, right off the bat in verse 5, John connects the message of Christ with the previous passage. Mike spoke last week about Jesus being the eternal life. John proclaimed that. In the rest of his letter here, John is going to elaborate on what this message is that he is proclaiming. So he says here that this message is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So in a moment, we're going to unpack what the light is and what all that means. But before that, let's look at the significance of darkness. Kind of a backwards approach to it. Darkness is defined as the total or near-total absence of light. Darkness has many uses in the scriptures. It can refer to physical darkness. In the creation account, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 1 says that darkness covered the face of the deep. This was not evil. It was the world before the light had been created. God's spirit hovered over the waters in the midst of this physical darkness. It was the absence of light. Darkness can refer to the forces of evil. Ephesians 6 speaks of spiritual warfare against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And darkness can refer to the state of humanity. And really, that's what we're going to focus on here uh, for a moment. The Bible speaks of darkness as a state of existence for humanity or a covering of humanity. And it speaks of it a good bit. In Ephesians four eighteen through 19, Paul writes, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So Paul here describes those in their sin as being darkened in their understanding. The lost are ignorant of God. Their minds are dark. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul describes all of humanity as being lost. He describes the wrath of God falling upon those who suppress the truth. He describes the lost as ignorant of God, having their minds darkened. And so, as we we look at this, we see that they are choosing, that lost people are choosing to sit in darkness. I want to focus here on Romans one twenty eight through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that just sounds like today. It sounds like humanity. Jesus speaks of this as well in John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So God gives people over to their darkness, We've said it before that this is the worst form of judgment uh, that God can dish out to someone in this lifetime. To be left in a state of darkness, ignorant of the truth, blind to the light. We see that without a savior, left to our own devices, we actually want the darkness and reject God. So God, in his wrath, gives people over to it. In this darkness, humanity stumbles around, not even knowing that they're blind. Proverbs 4.19 describes this. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Have you ever, like I described in the story that I shared at the beginning, stumbled around in darkness, not knowing what it was you tripped over, not knowing what it was that fell on your head and, you know, freaked you out? I don't know, maybe you're like me, you've run into the coffee table a few times in the dark. Or walked into it in the light as well, just because you're not paying attention. But when you're in darkness, you don't even know what it is that you trip over. Ecclesiastes 2, 13 through 14. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. It is in folly that humanity dwells in darkness. Our minds were ruined by sin, clouded in darkness, and we were held captive to that folly. Living, but not really living. We can surmise from this description of darkness and the darkened mind that all, the world, all that the world calls wisdom is truly folly. What God calls wisdom appears as folly to the darkened mind. And God will pour his judgment out on people, leaving them in this darkened condition. But we also know from Scripture that Satan and his forces will work to keep people in this darkened state as well, keeping people from seeing the light. 2 Corinthians four, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And it's into this world of darkness, both the evil of this world, the darkened hearts of man, our minds being clouded in darkness, that the light of the gospel does break into. Matthew, in his account of the life of Jesus, quotes from Isaiah saying, in Matthew four sixteen, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Isaiah 61-2, through Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This light that Isaiah was talking about is Jesus Christ. And when I titled this series, The Gospel Transformed Life, uh, it was because I, as I looked at the, the themes that we see in the book of First John, what really stood out to me in this very short book is we see what a gospel-shaped life looks like. We see what transformation looks like. In a life uh, that was once bound in darkness, uh, when Jesus gets a hold of this person, they're now freed and liberated to live in light, to walk in light. When one hears and believes the good news of Jesus Christ, this person is transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In John's gospel account, he wrote about this light as well. John 1, 4 through 5, speaking of Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The message that God is light is a prominent factor in the gospel message that we proclaim to a darkened world. What does it mean then to say that God is light? Well, it's multifaceted as well. It certainly speaks of his holiness and his purity. It speaks of truth. One way we could take this idea of light is to say that God is the source of all that is truth. Nothing can truly be understood without the light of God. But this light also speaks of more than just holiness and truth. On its own, truth can sometimes sound foreboding and uninviting. But God's truth is more than that. His truth and light brings joy and hope. Because really this idea of light, what's behind this idea of light, is life. There is no darkness in him. There is no hint of sin in him. There is no evil in him. There is no lurking evil or hidden agenda in God. With God, we are not waiting for the other shoe to drop. In God, the darkness that clouded our minds uh, is removed and all the things that we stumbled over before become visible. When the hindrances are removed and our stumbling ceases, we find ourselves freed from the chains of sin and death. The darkness is dispelled. Oh, it's difficult in a room like ours to do that thing, you know, where the, all the lights go off and then someone flicks the light switch on and all the darkness is dispelled because we've got a little bit of light trickling in from other places, uh, doorways and windows and whatnot. Um, but if I could get this room pitch black and I flipped on a light switch, what would happen? Well, the darkness would be forced to be dispelled. It would be moved. It would, light would shine and break through it. Maybe you can try that at home tonight. Turn off all the lights and then just flick the light on. See how quickly the, the darkness is dispelled. There's nothing hidden in God. Because light changes everything. The lurking power of darkness is broken in the light of God. The, in darkness, that misery and death that we talked about is, is removed. And the promise of freedom, hope, joy, and life is granted. In God we find true life, because he is the light of life, the source of life. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A commentator, Daniel Aiken, writes, God has as his very nature and being the source of life. In our God there is light that leads to life. There is not the slightest hint of darkness and death. He continues, this light leading to life is found in the gospel message about Jesus and proclaimed by those who have met him in conversion, which is the new birth. In the light of God is the fullness of life, and there is no lack of life in him at all. Every year we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Good Friday. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is to mark the death, burial and resurrection of our savior Jesus Christ. In dying and rising again he conquered death and darkness and purchased the redemption of those who would believe in this amazing good news. And every single week that's what we celebrate. That's what we gather to talk about. That's what we gathered to to sing about and remind each other about trusting in christ the light of life the very source of life we are taken out of death and into life colossians 1 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son john five twenty four. truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life but again it's not just once a year that we remember the gospel Every Lord's Day is a day to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Every time we gather, we should be reminding one another of the gospel. Throughout our week, we should be reminding one another. Calling each other up, text messaging, emailing, gathering together, whatever it is, and reminding each other. And preach these truths to yourself over and over and over again. That God sent Jesus into a sin-darkened world. That Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience where we could not that he was crucified, dead and buried, and then rose again and appeared to the disciples and 500 others. And he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And because of this, we have the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. True life. The life of Jesus Christ, who is the source of life. A passage we read often when we discuss baptism uh, is Romans 6, 3, 4. But we're not speaking about Water, when we talk about this. This passage says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised, raised from the dead by the glory of God, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you were born again, You were baptized into Christ's death, and you were raised with Christ's resurrection. And so now you walk in newness of life. His resurrection life has been given to you, the believer. You have been given a new life, the life of Christ. When we say that he is risen, we're also speaking about what has happened to you. If you're a believer in Christ, you have risen in newness of life. You have been risen in Christ. The resurrection light gives us the resurrection life. And John, in his epistle, will show what that resurrected life looks like. And we'll get a glimpse of it here over the next few verses as we look at the resurrection life. As I was uh, prepping this sermon, I recalled that Derek preached a sermon from Ephesians 5, 1 through 14 last year in March. And he spoke about walking in love and walking in light. He said in that message that to walk in love is to walk in light. I would like to say it this way for our passage this morning. To walk in the light is to walk in love and to walk in life. In verses 6 through 10, we see three concerns in an if-then pattern. In verses 6 and 7, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This verb walk is in the present tense. And it speaks of a continuous and consistent pattern of life. To walk in darkness is to pursue, pursue a pattern of life apart from God. You might say that it's to pursue death over life. Walking in the light is to live in the resurrection life. It's to be a believer, living and resting in the source of life, Jesus Christ. As Mike shared last week, this epistle is written to combat certain false teachings in the church. The early uh, stages of a doctrine or a group that became known as the Gnostics um, and other teachings of that day led to a denial of sin. These groups denied that sin was real. And if there was no sin, then there would be no need of a savior. No sin, no savior. And much of these teachings, if you look at what Gnosticism was, they kind of mirror what we see in humanism today and in postmodern thought. Today we see people uh, who are convinced that because of man's just inherent goodness, we don't need a savior. There's no need of salvation. Knowledge, tolerance, and acceptance is the ultimate gauge of morality. And even that, it's completely subjective. What is moral? What is moral? Man is not sinful, man is good, and through education one can become better, more kind, and more accepting of all things. Now, the ancient Gnostics taught that light is knowledge and claimed fellowship with God based upon knowledge only. They had been elevated to a a way of thinking and knowing things that was above all others. But even that doesn't sound all that much different than the oracles of today. John is showing that to deny sin and the need for a savior is not to live in light or higher uh, knowledge of something, but it's actually to walk, to continually live in darkness. The one who says, I know God, but walks in darkness is a liar. And this person is lying to others about who they are. He then contrasts that negative with the positive. That for the one who is trusted in Christ, who has been born again, Into this light, this life of light, this person has both true fellowship with God and with fellow believers. And the cleansing of all sin. All sin. I think it's important that we recognize the word all there. All sin, by the blood of Jesus, is granted to that person. This, This person is then freed or liberated to walk in love and light with God and with others. This light of life And the cleansing of sin is made available only by the blood of Jesus. It was a costly gift, but it's one that he offers freely to those who are trapped in darkness. The next concern is in verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, We lie to ourselves. There's a progression in this. This person first lies to others about themselves, but also gets to the point where they lie even to themselves. They believe their own lies. They've become self-deceived. This self-deception that John is speaking of is a denial of reality. John is saying that there is no reality in the one who denies sin. Verse 9 then serves as the antidote. It wouldn't be enough to stop lying. There's a lot of unbelievers who don't lie, at least on the surface. And there's a lot of believers who struggle with lying. So to stop lying wouldn't be enough. Just as to stop any activity of sin wouldn't be enough. What we need is not some kind of You know, cough syrup or a band-aid. We need resurrection. And John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so God is faithful to his promise of new life. And he is just in forgiving our sins. In fact, if God decided to not forgive your sin, if you came to him and believed on Christ, And he said, well, there's just a few areas of sin in your life I'm not going to forgive. He would actually be unjust. Because God has promised in his word that he would forgive all sin, all unrighteousness. He would cleanse the sinner if they believe on his son. And so God is just. And he is faithful. And so we can have assurance that he will forgive our sins. That he has forgiven our sins. Then we come to our last concern in verse 10. And this time, the if-then statement is only a negative. The final stop in our deception is to lie about God. As the unbeliever remains in darkness, sin, and this self-deception that they've arrived at, they come to a place where they lie about God himself. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so John just kind of puts a full stop here. Eventually, the time of rejecting God, rejecting the gospel, will come to an end. If you continue to walk in darkness and reject the offer of the forgiveness of your sin because you claim to have no sin, then you are claiming that God is a liar. And John says that his word is not in you. So we've mostly addressed these three concerns with the unbeliever. The one who claims to have no need of salvation. No need because they have no sin. The truth or the light of life is not in such a person. The believer has the truth, the light of life in them, but the unbeliever does not. But this doesn't mean that the, unbel- uh, that the believer uh, will never have struggles with sin. Even as born-again Christians, the flesh remains with us. We will sin. There's an ongoing battle with the sin that remains. For the Christian, that sin, though, is no longer who we are. We will sin, but because the truth is in us as gospel-transformed people, we will battle that sin. We won't deny it. Now, there may be times when we, as the Westminster Confession states, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. But the doctrine of the preservation of the saints shows us that God will bring us back because he is faithful to his covenant and his word will not return void. John is not denying our need to be seen as sinless, He's just showing that we cannot hope to find sinlessness in ourselves. We need a Savior. And praise God, he sent one. And that's what this day and every Lord's Day is all about. We need someone other than ourselves because ourselves was not enough. We need another person's sinless record. And he's given us Christ whose record is perfect for both the sinner and the saint. The answer to sin is the same. It's Jesus who is alive. And his sinless record is available to you today. This morning, as we celebrate the Lord's resurrection, we'll partake in the Lord's table. And in doing this, we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord. We read this passage often, and I want to read it again, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a holy moment, but it's also a celebration. We are remembering his death, the shedding of blood to redeem fallen sinners. But we are also celebrating the resurrection. We have been given new life. And so I want to encourage you this morning. As we participate in the Lord's table. To receive it joyfully. To receive it with a glad heart. Because this isn't just a moment uh, where we look at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus with just a somber heart. It is, it is serious in nature for sure. Certainly. But it is something to be celebrated. It is something to take joy in. Because we've been given new life. We've been given resurrection life. And so this morning as we partake, I just want us to uh, turn our attention to that, to to lift our eyes um, to the risen Savior and celebrate it in joy. As Nate and the team will uh, lead us in song here, um, you know, make your way to either table. There's one in the back and uh, the table that's normally here is over here. Um, But whichever one is closest to you, um, feel free to grab that. The wafer and cup are together still. We're still using those for the time being, but um, just peel the first layer back for the wafer, and the second layer is the juice. There are also gluten-free wafers if that serves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your resurrection light has given us resurrection life this morning. We just praise you for what uh, your son has done. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, just fill us with your joy this morning. Fill us with Uh, Just an abundance of joy as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And the hope that's before us. Because what we show in this time of partaking of the Lord's table is that you will send your son again. He will return. And that's something to celebrate as well. So, Lord, I just ask that you would lift our hearts in this time, Lord. Lift our hearts because we know, Lord, that we serve a living Savior. Death could not keep him. The grave could not keep him. We thank you. In Jesus' name, his living name, amen.